Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The scene at the end of the wedding when everyone's like, go, have sex now, go. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it feels like that sometimes. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Ship, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Megan Fitzgerald. And I'm Jimena Medina. And if you are just joining us, this is episode three of our Jane the Virgin season. We've been discussing Jane Villanueva and Michael Cordero of Jane the Virgin, who we, of course, ship despite them being part of a very divisive love triangle. And listen, if you fall on the Raphael side of the love triangle, if you are team Raphael, this might be a good episode for you to listen to, to practice, you know, embracing other people's points of view and listening, because this episode is um, a, a very much a team Michael episode, because this is all about the incredible things we learn from Michael and Jane when they are finally, 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 mm. officially together. And namely, what we're going to focus on is their incredible communication. Perfection. Perfection. And we were just talking about this before we started recording, so we should bring it in. And of course, as we mentioned at the very top of the season, we are spoiling the whole show. So this next segment is going to be particularly spoiler-y. Michael and Jane get married. And in most TV shows, this would be the part of the plot where couples you know, now have to learn to navigate married life and new issues come up between them and new hurdles and challenges. But partially because Michael and Jane has have already gone through a lot and partially because these writers knew that they were going to kill off Michael at the end of the season. And they just wanted to make, actually not even at the, in the middle of the season. And so I think they wanted to make it as devastating as possible. So they really write their relationship during this time once they get together to be perfect and <laughs> almost impossible, almost impossibly perfect. But in fact, as much as we learn from their mistake, we can also learn from the things they do extremely well. So this episode is going to lean very heavy team Michael because it is all about the things they do extremely well. But that was by design of the show and the emotional arc the show wants us to go on. And also for us, because we got to talk about how much we love Michael before we have to talk about his death. <laughs> the saddest day. <laughs> Um, I also think it's funny because they make it so perfect and we can learn from it and we will learn from it. But it'll also point out like you'll realize that you suck at communication. You'd be like, I would keep that in and bottle it for a long time and then explode in a really passive aggressive petty way. Yeah, I would explode it at like a tense dinner with all of our family members two years later. <laughs> but Michael and Jane don't. And that's what we have to learn from them. And this is communication that like you can learn from if you're in a relationship, if you're not in a relationship with your parents, with your friends, mm -hmm. look, we all need to communicate better. Yeah. You and I can talk about our communication. It'll be great. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But before we get into kind of our topics of the day, we're going to give everybody a summary just to catch everyone up on where we are in the plot. Okay. And I was going to ask you, do you want to do the summary this time? Oh my gosh. Okay. Can I give it a try? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, where we last left off, Michael and Jane were engaged on their knees in a parking lot. As Jane and Michael start to plan for the rest of their lives, including their wedding and a new home, they navigate co-parenting with Raphael, financial problems and more. 
Despite a flood, a new crime lord, Mooter, and a broken down car, Jane and Michael finally make it down the aisle in one of my favorite TV weddings of all time. And if you're thinking what I'm thinking, wedding night, meaning Jane and Michael finally get to have sex. However, just as they are about to do the deed, Michael runs into his partner, Susanna Barnett, in the hallway of the Marbella. And after she is unable to recognize a reference, Michael realizes she's not who she says she is. And she shoots him in the chest. Michael survives, but it's a very long recovery process, and Michael and Jane aren't able to have sex. However, after Jane helps nurse Michael back to health, they finally bang. However, again, Jane, stressed out about pressure on the moment and losing her identity as a virgin, fakes her orgasm. Which she does end up telling Michael. And with the help of an accidental recording of the first time, they try again. And this time, it lives up to the years of build-up. Oh, my God. Somebody hire this girl right now. <laughs> I am shaking. I'm so ready for them to reboot this show with Mateo. And you will be the announcer. Oh, oh my wow. God. I am undone. Um, Wow. That was incredible. Um, I hope you get jobs out of this podcast. Be, oh, like, thank you. I feel like you could hear the tension in my muscles <laughs> as I spoke. It's good, though. That was incredible. <laughs> and I have to say, just I know that this show has like literally people coming back to life and evil twins and evil twins petrifying each other. But Jane having incredible sex the second time she has sex is the most unrealistic thing on the show. <laughs> it's just... It's absolutely impossible. It takes a long time, okay? It takes a long time to get good at sex. And if it doesn't take you a long time, then I'm jealous and happy for you and go yeah. live your best life. But yeah, maybe no. you're a wonder sex kin. But most people, it takes us a, it takes a second to get to the point where you have like an animated graphic about how great it is, <laughs> which and high fiving each other afterwards. Which is I what love they that do. they high five each other. Oh, I was gonna cute. say that. Yeah, it's cute. I'm glad that we'll get into the sex later, but I'm glad they included that her first time was hard for her. Like that is very realistic but still the same it's not like a the learning curve is not one time before we go into the jane and michael part of it we're going to go into relatable content Woo! and if you are relating to these situations we're very envious but maybe you can just use this instead of relatable content maybe it can be like relatable manifestations things that you want for your life you may be in a Jane and Michael situation or want a Jane and Michael situation. If you've gone through many, many huge stakes and hurdles in your relationship that the day-to-day -day complications <laughs> of married life feel like a breeze. You may be in a Jane and Michael situation if you can instantly tell something is off with your partner and you're not afraid to call it out. Mm -hmm. You may be in a Jane and Michael situation if you have a true partner in decision-making, whether it's about finances, careers, your stand-up set. You want this person's input. You may be in a Jane and Michael situation if you married the person you have the most fun with. Oh, they're so fun. They're so fun. <laughs> okay, well, let's start to talk about it. Um, so as we mentioned in our intro, Jane and Michael are the masters of communication. And, you know, it did take them a while to get here. And that's why it's not totally 
you know, out of left field that they're suddenly so good at this. They've come so far from season one where Jane couldn't communicate that she wanted to be an author and Michael couldn't tell her about his past. What we're going to talk about today is that in version 2.0 of their relationship, they call out every off moment. They are clear about their feelings, clear about their desires, and they still manage to find like a lightness and joy in every moment. So for us non-fictional people, maybe you can get there through an artificial insemination, a kidnapped baby, killing off a crime lord and reconciling, or... Maybe there's another way. I hope I hope there's another way. <laughs> Maybe we can just uh, do the things that they do without all of the telenovela backstory. So we're going to try our best. Okay. Let's talk about communication, baby. Let's talk about oh, you and me and how we don't do that right. <laughs> how we all suck at it. But okay. So I want to say before we go into this, we and most podcasts that are about advice and relationships throw out words and phrases like communicate or it's about communication. Just communicate all the time. And I recently read uh, Shan Brujan's book, and she said something to the effect of, you can't work on your communication without knowing what you're working towards, and you have to have an idea of what you want in communication, which is just like any, if you don't know what your goal is, you don't know what you're working towards, and it's the same thing in communication, especially because I think good communication looks different for everyone. It varies how much you want to be checked in with. If you want to make decisions as a couple or as an individual, it's going to look different on every person for every couple. And I'd say, actually, maybe Jane and Michael border on the edge of too much communication for some people. Some people might be like, this is far too much checking in for me. But like every, you know, musical theater teacher that I've ever had, we're going to coach everybody to just go too far, be too much. And then, and then we'll pull you back from there. So over communicate we'll and then, you know, work with, work with your partner and your friends to uh, figure out if you need to reel it back in. But I think over committing in communication is a good grounds to start on. And, you know, there's different types of communication, I think. I yeah, was, for sure. There was like, oh, you hurt my feelings. Like you made me upset. This made me happy communication. And then there's, mm -hmm. these are my hopes and dreams. This is what I did today. Here, my rant types of mm -hmm. communication. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those both have to be kind of handled differently, yeah. especially with different people. And so communication literally comes in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> yeah, it's like learning. It's like learning anything about someone. It's like as you know, this will come up later. It's like learning somebody's body. It's like learning somebody's love language. You have to learn the best communication strategies per relationship. But I think that the, all we can do is bring our best selves to it. And I think Michael and Jane represent a lot of like the best, you know, highest, most transparent forms of communication. And then I think if you present vulnerably in your communication, you open the door for other people to do the same. Yeah. And then from there you learn what works. But I think if you start pretty open, that's a good grounds to start from. And then you learn, you know, what's too much. And too much is always definitely better than not enough, especially yeah. in communication. Because not yeah. enough is, it just doesn't allow things to carry on. I, for me, I, when, I, when I'm thinking about it, I think the parts of communication that matter the most to me are weird bumps getting acknowledged quickly. So there's no building of tension. If I upset you, I want to know right away. And I want to feel like I can express the same to you. And then the other thing that you're saying is like, I also think good communication means I want to be up to date about what you want out of the relationship, out of your career, out of your life. And if that changes definitively, I want to know. Yeah, I don't know. So what's your, what do you, what do you feel like are your ideal communication habits? 
So I am the type of person that will always tell you about my like day. Yes. I'll come home and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I did this and this and this. And I feel this way. And this thing that happened today made me angry. And then I was sad. I cried a little. Then I got, you know, I'll tell you in great detail. Mm -hmm. And I don't need you to ask. um, Because if I feel that trust, I'll open up. Mm -hmm. I've had so many relationships where people are like, you don't ask me how I am. I now have to tell people where I'm like, please just share with me your day if I don't ask. I'm working on asking, but just share how your day was. If you have one little thing that you think is silly but want to share, do it. I appreciate those little things. Mm -hmm. That that is huge because I've often been called selfish for just speaking about my life. And then I'm very bad at the, you hurt my feelings. I'm very bad at that. I wish I was better and I wish I communicated it more like you. You know, I've had, I have a lot of like, are you okay's come at me and I don't know how to handle those. Yeah. I don't know. I think it depends. I think it depends on the tone of the are you okay and who mm-hmm. it's coming from and if you feel a sense of like safety and open communication with that person. Because yeah. there's some people if they asked me, are you okay? And I genuinely wasn't, I would not feel like this person and I have built a language of being able to talk about these things openly. That's one of the things that Michael things that you know, we can look to with Michael and Jane is that they clearly have established that. I think, you know, you have seen me as you're referencing be better about like, I'm upset that you did this, but that it was only because for years I would let things build into like rants. And you still hear me (laughs) rant about people, but I rant about people that I don't like actively work on my communication with. Right. You know what I mean? Like I would never rant about you or one of my good friends because we just acknowledge those things. Yeah. No. And I remember the time that I was at your house and I just I did I didn't help you with the dishes. And for some reason I was just like, my Uber's here and you we're so angry, but you didn't say that you were angry. You were just like, okay, it's fine. Your Uber's here. Um, you were just <laughs> very passive aggressive. And instead of me handling that situation, being like, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings. I left and cried in the front of your house as I waited for my Uber. But just to really quickly tie it all back to my, my communication, I enjoy, I like it when people tell me if I hurt their feelings. Mm-hmm. It's a little harder for me to tell them if they hurt mine. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, like, I think we all have to be aware of our communication gaps. And that's obviously like a huge part of it. And I think maybe that's your, I guess you're saying that that's yours. And I think one of my communication gaps is approaching things with a sense of curiosity instead of a sense of judgment and Mm -hmm. giving people being a little bit more patient with when I think somebody has wronged me, there probably is a good explanation from where they're coming from instead of me just being like angry and hurt. Right. So that's what we're working on, everyone. So think about what you're working on, maybe. (laughs) Uh, We challenge you to think about what you're working on as we go into the things that Michael and Jane do well. We're going to break down what we think they do well in communication into categories, because as we said, communication is a wide spectrum and there's many different types of communication. The first topic, and I think probably the most evident topic in their communication is this sense of transparency they have with each other. And I think it's coupled with being proactive. And what I think this looks like the most in their relationship, I swear, I think this happens like every episode and it's the calling out a what's wrong moment. So as we were just saying, it's the like, are you okay? But they have a great language around, are you okay? Or it's not even sometimes what are you okay? It's that they know 
the moment a fleeting thought of fear or pain or worry or stress comes across their their other person's face, they call it out. There are like no missed moments between them. They talk about every single time they sense something wrong with the other person. It's crazy. It's crazy. And even if they do get a little bit defensive, they can really ground themselves and Mm -hmm. realize that that's what the other person feels. It's okay. Now, how do we move forward? Yeah. And they come to I'm sorry really quickly. Yeah. And their I'm sorry's are genuine. They actually feel sorry. Because there's nothing worse than someone being like, I'm sorry, and then like not being sorry and not changing. Exactly. I think one of my favorite combinations of I'm sorry and I'm going to take action comes from, it's actually the wedding episode, which we'll talk more about (laughs) later because I love this episode. So they get in this argument on uh, the day before their wedding, on their rehearsal day, where he has like spent money on the um, honeymoon and didn't talk to her about it first. And they get in this little like spat about that he should have asked her first. And then he get, he starts defensive and he starts with like, I have to talk to you every time I spend money. And she's like, that's a lot of money. And then after the rehearsal, they both apologize. And she says, I'm sorry, I yelled at you. And he says, no, I should have talked to you. So there's that. They like acknowledge it, you know, within an hour. And they are genuinely sorry. So there's that aspect of it. But then oh, I think one of my favorite things between them and talk about transparency and talk about Michael knowing that this is what she needed. You know, Jane's kind of freaking out and she's like, there's so much stuff we haven't talked about, like spending money and all of these things in marriage that we haven't gone through. And then Michael texts her and says, open your email. And he has sent her this long document of all of these things that they should talk about before they get married. It is so sweet. It's just as a person who needs guidance, taking it like it's like a survey. It's wonderful. Taking a survey where you just truthfully ask questions and truthfully answer. It's ideal. Yeah. I mean, we should... I'll do this. I'm going to take this into my next relationship. Yeah. You know, in an ideal world, we recommend this anyways. But I think especially, you know, for Jane, who who likes to have a little bit more control and who likes to be a little more assured, like it was like Michael speaking her love language. And like, I don't know that Michael necessarily needed this list, but I think he knew that Jane needed it. And so, and it's like an itemized, he's like, Mm. they're like uh, section 1B and it's so Jane and it's so lovely. And I think it just gave her exactly what she needed the night before her wedding to make her wedding day magical. And that was a gift that he gave her. I think transparency builds trust. And I think them being able to have this very transparent conversation about everything speaks to the foundation of their marriage and the foundation of their communication and that they were comfortable talking about all of this and that they took the action to do it. Mm hmm. It's huge. Take notes, um, Jim and Pam, because if you had filled out this (laughs) survey before you got married, we maybe wouldn't have had a problematic season seven, eight, and nine of The Office. You tell them. All right, everyone, Jimena and I will be right back. We're just going to take a quick break to talk about one of our partners this week, and that is Free Prints. So think about it. You've got great photos on your phone, but we all never do anything with them except let them take off storage. So if you don't have Free Prints yet, you've got to get it. So Free Prints is a free app for iPhone and Android that lets you print all of those photos for free. 
you can get a thousand free four by six photos in a year. And all you pay is a very small shipping charge. You can even print photos and other sizes for next to nothing, which is great because we're all trying to get a gallery wall and that's expensive. So you select the photos you want to print, choose the sizes and you're done and your premium quality prints will arrive on your doorstep in just days. Free Prints is one of the world's favorite apps. Download it now at freeprints.com and start enjoying real professional quality free prints. No subscriptions, no commitments, just free prints. Again, go to freeprints.com to get the app and your 1000 free prints. Do it. Now back to the episode. Okay. The next subcategory of their communication skills, um, which goes hand in hand with transparency, is honesty. And that is, you know, when you're having these conversations about what's going on with you and how do you feel is to be super honest about it. And one of the moments where this is best exemplified by Michael and Jane is the conversation they have about Michael quitting his job. So we'll play that audio. Yes. Anything settled. With me going back to work. I know you're just offering not to to make me happy. That's true. (laughs) But that's no small thing. Yeah, but your happiness is no small thing to me. Look, it's your job. So if you're telling me that you love it and that you're not scared and you want to go back, then that's that. But you have to say it so that I can flip the switch and move on. I love my job. And I'm not scared. And I want to go back. Okay, so then you're going back and you're wearing a bulletproof vest every day. I'm serious. Okay. First of all, I just love that this conversation happens at all. You mm-hmm. know, Jane doesn't put on a brave face and just play the martyr. She, she opens up that she's having a hard time imagining him going back to work. And there's a lot of people who would have been like, I'm fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And I just feel like there's nothing brave about being a like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine person. I do it as a joke all the time. I do it sincerely all the time. And we need to sincerely too much, too much. And especially I think women, I think we need to stop glamorizing it as strong. We don't get anything from it. No. And the other person doesn't either. No. And I I think especially for women, like being able to like bear it or whatever and be the stronger one, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help your partner. And it takes so much more courage to say how you feel and what you need. And she does that here. Telling him that she doesn't want him to work there, that it scares her. It's good to voice that. It's good to just let it go. Even if he stays in the job, which he does. And the fact that she's like, but do you love it? That's perfect. If she hadn't said that, he might just be like feeling guilty mm-hmm. and be like, oh, I, I, I just, it's what I have to do. But her saying that allows him to be like, yes, and that is enough for me to stay there. Yeah. I also love that he's honest about it too. And it's not about him making a sacrifice. What I think is impressive that he is that he actually doesn't make the sacrifice and you can't always make the sacrifice in a marriage or any relationship. And Michael has done a lot of adapting for Jane and a lot of sacrificing. And I love that this is one of the only moments really where she has to do that for him. And that's only made possible about the fact that he is honest about what he wants. You know, this just shows that in the future, if there was a longer future, Mm -hmm. in the future, she would be able to tell him how she's scared for him to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. She's scared about this case. And she has that support from him but he also has the support from her that he's still going. 
Yeah, yeah. Or that he doesn't make her feel bad for feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, really quickly. Mm -hmm. Just before the wedding when Jane has to go change her thesis. Oh, yeah. And she calls him and tells him, hey, I need to do this. If you don't want me to, I won't. And he's like, just be on time. Look, I would have just gone. And if he was like, where are you? I would have been like, I'm taking extra long in the bathroom, you know? And that Mm -hmm. is just, it's one of the, it's those little things, those little honesties that are just so admirable and cute. Yeah. And I think the fact that they don't hold them against each other either, he's not like, oh, Jane, why would you do that? He's like accepting and encouraging her creates enough trust so that they can keep doing these things so that the next time it happens, she doesn't feel like she has to lie about it because he's going to get upset. Exactly. Yeah. So it's honesty and accepting the honesty. Yes. It starts with the little things. So then they don't build up and become these huge problems. Mm-hmm. 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 Ugh. Speaking of problems, I don't think they would be a good couple if they didn't have any fights. Oh, no. They'd be boring. And we know that they're not boring. We know that? Yes, which we'll get to. Um, so the next thing, the next topic we want to talk to you about within their communication is their ability to fight and have a good fight. And the fight that we're going to use as an example is this fight that they have about money, which, of course, so many couples will fight about at some point in their relationship. So Jane and Michael... <laughs> This requires a little bit of backstory of some of the most ridiculous part of uh, the plot. But Jane and Michael, you know, have moved into this new house and the house is like a ridiculously cheap rent because Petra is secretly paying half their rent. But when Petra is (laughs) petrified by Anezka, Anezka stops paying half of their rent. And anyways, they are creating a budget and Jane ends up padding the budget. Mm -hmm with an expense that actually Raphael pays for, for Mateo, and they have this fight about it. So here we go. I also called Mateo's gym class. Yeah, I was a little surprised when they told me the monthly fees were already covered by Raphael. I thought, well, there must be some kind of a mistake. My wife would never lie to me about something like that. I'm sorry. I padded the budget. You know, just in case we need money for an emergency. Look, I grew up always worried about money. So tell me. Don't hide it from me, like I'm a child. You have a shoebox for your files. Okay. To be clear, I'm the one with a stable government job and a 401k. I've been paying my own way, on my own, for a decade, until last week you've been living with your family. To avoid debt while in school. Which your dad pays for. This is going downhill fast. Look, I have been financially responsible my entire life. You know that I helped support my family. Look, fighting is scary. Fighting is scary because if you're not fighting with the right person... It could, it could just end whatever relationship you have with them. Fighting with someone that you have had a long relationship with, though, sounds awesome. It sounds <laughs> great because you could just let it all go and then afterwards come back and gather yourself and say, look, I'm sorry I said those things, but you needed to say them. Let's mm-hmm. be petty for a second. And both of you do it. It's, it sounds extremely cathartic and I want it. Yes. I, I always imagine just... Uh, fighting with a significant other. It sounds really fun. (laughs) Sometimes you have to fight. And what I love, oh man, I'm just like getting turned on thinking about (laughs) fighting with a boyfriend again, is that when you fight, you're such a raw version of yourself. Like, like you just said, we're petty when we fight. And sometimes we're we're also sometimes our funniest when we fight just in the most passive aggressive, like raw. And we usually say what we mean, but we say it in the worst way. Like Michael bringing up the fact that Jane has a rich dad and a rich baby daddy to depend on for money. And like, 
that's fucking true. And that's, and I don't necessarily think it's something he's like stewing over or harboring because then it would be unhealthy, but it's just, it's true. It's just not an easy thing to say. And I think fights are such a necessary part of communicating because these things that aren't easy to say that would only come up in the heat of a fight come up and we have to work through them. And I think if you're not fighting, if they weren't fighting, it would be because there's not communication happening or they're psychopaths or they're boring, which is worse than the other two things. (laughs) Way worse. But they do so eventually come to a resolution with this fight and they decide to eventually move out of the house. And I think a couple that can hear all of the terrible things we say during a fight and not take them personally, but instead choose to examine everything that was said to get to the root of the problem, mm-hmm. that couple's going to be fine. And the fact that they prioritized getting to the root of the problem over being sensitive about the dumb comments is beautiful. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Because when you were fighting, you might say something that you very much mean in a very harsh Mm -hmm. extreme way and the other person has to know that they can't take those word for word it's not these words in particular it's the meaning it's like the slight meaning behind it Mm -hmm. you just have to have a lot of trust to fight and even with friendships i mean you just like you have to feel like the person will understand and fight back this is like something that frustrated me so much in my last relationship and i remember literally like screaming one time being like just fight me fight me on something fight me on anything because he wouldn't fight back. And I don't know, you know, I don't know that I'll ever know why. I am sure it was something I could have done better. I could have created a, you know, foundation of trust that I wouldn't take it personally. Maybe that's what it was, is that if he said something, I would take it too personally instead of examining where it was coming from. Right. Also, maybe he had fear. I don't know. There's always fear behind like telling someone how you really feel. Yeah. Like, am I going to lose them if I say Mm -hmm. how I really feel? But I mean, I have never been good at fighting. I just I just keep it in and it's 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 worse. Yeah. Cuz it's totally. not I don't get what I wanted to say out and the other person feels unfulfilled. Mhm. Mhm. So yeah, fight it out every once in a while. Yeah. Okay, and the last part of their communication foundation that we want to talk about which comes out of fighting is expressing support. And I think this is sometimes, you know, after you fight and you come to some sort of solution or resolution, the next thing you have to do is support each other and and be really expressive of that support in your communication. So much like how um, having Mateo changed their plans and their future, their plans change again when Michael quits his job because he doesn't pass his physical and he just doesn't want to be a desk cop. I don't know if that's a phrase, but it is. um, So he quits his job and is going through a career change. And this is almost a guarantee in any relationship plans will change. And instead of being bitter or upset about it, especially Jane, who is a planner and likes to see a clear future. I think what Jane does really well is she expresses her wholehearted support for him in this big change. Right. And I think expressing support can come in terms of communication, but it can also, it's little actions. I know that we get to see everything that they do. So like we get to see Michael get close with Raphael during that one moment where, you know, when Rogelio takes them both in a car to make up. And even though Jane doesn't get to see that, I felt like I was really grateful to see him express his support. Mm -hmm. And like later he can come and tell you that he did that if he wants to, whatever. Right. But just acts of expressing support, I think are very important. And I think they do that well. 
Yeah. Yeah. And everything, like you're saying, that's like a personal thing for them that like Jane wants the family to get along. And it's also in professional things. Obviously we see Michael be so supportive of Jane's career throughout, but we also see in this plot where Michael is <laughs> changing <laughs> careers. And here's where we have to pay homage to the one episode arc where Michael tries to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> it's so good. They really figured it out. Like you said, I think two episodes ago or something, they really understood that, oh, Brett Dyer is funny. funny. <laughs> they figured it out right before he died. Right. And they're like, we're going to write him all these jokes and we have to pack them all in. So let's make them a stand up for one episode. And like, listen, Jane goes through some stressful situations on this show. But let me tell you, artificial insemination is nothing compared to the stress of dating a stand up comedian. Take it from me. It is not fun. It is so stressful. And what I love about this is that she supports him. She's like, go for it. I'll bring my whole family to your show. But she's also honest with him. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Why would anyone date a stand-up comedian? All my props to Jane for being able to. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually really who should be listening to this episode are people dating stand-up comedians because you can support them, but you can also be honest about when their jokes suck. So that's who Jane is really the hero for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's, there's that. She supports him there, but the other kind of plot again I think this is like right before he dies is that there's episode they're both stressed he has an interview for law school and he's studying for the LSATs she is in like final right draft before he dies right yeah I think it's like the episode four and she is about to turn in her thesis she has this little arc where she's like is this what it's going to be like forever every time we're both stressed it's just going to be this hard And what I like about this episode is that what ends up solving it is that he takes a little bit of her advice and she makes him a color-coordinated study calendar. And then she takes a little something from him and they spend a night camping and just like unwinding and relaxing. And I think it's so hard to really fully support someone's dreams when you are really busy with your dreams. Mm -hmm. But I think what we learned from them in this little episode is that they express their support for one another and they take the opportunity to lean on one another's strengths to help them. Jane is organized. Michael is calming. They start the episode by letting those differences stress them out, but they learn throughout the episode to embrace them. It's so hard to do because you're stepping out of your comfort zone, but it's also so nice to see because it's that yin and yang. I love it when I see that. I love when I can see that people are learning from one another and really showing examples of that in their life. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Letting the differences in their relationship strengthen the relationship. Because it's hard. It's hard to let somebody tell you, calm down and know how to calm down, know how to be more chill. Yeah. And I'm sure both of us have gone through this because we're typically not calm people, but it takes a certain type of support for me to be actually calmed by somebody instead of just being told to calm down. And that's what I think Michael does well for her is that he supports her without being like belittling or judgy. He just actually is supportive and and does the most supportive thing. Yeah. And Jane... Instead of telling him to be more organized, she lays it out for him. In yeah. This, and that is so special. Because mm-hmm. sometimes there are, you know, there are different roles in different relationships. And sometimes someone needs to be told a little bit, guided. It's really nice that she just did it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then he is like, will you make me one of these calendars? And she said something like, that's the sexiest thing you've ever said to me. Or like, that's I'm so turned on. And I was like, oh, I love them. Hey, everyone. Jimena and I will be right back with our Michael and Jane discussion. We're just going to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors. Take it away, Travis. All right. Are we ready to move on to sexy Sexy time, but kind of not sexy time. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move on to sex, but we're not really moving on because what we're really talking about is communicating about sex and communicating about our sex lives. As we mentioned in the summary, the first time Jane and Michael have sex, and of course, this is Jane losing her virginity, Jane fakes her orgasm. So let's um, <laughs> just generally um, talk um. about uh, something we've all done. Just kidding. But let's let's just every time. Love you for your bridgers. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason people connect with that lyric. So let's just generally talk about this. Have we faked orgasms? How do we feel our communication during sex is? This could be a whole podcast in itself. So let's we'll we'll try to keep it brief. Look, I'll keep it simple. Yes, yes I have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all say it together. Yes, we yeah. have. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is where like our parents can just like parents, oh. if you're listening, y'all can just like skip ahead to the last five minutes or something. Yeah. And family members. Um, I have those like religious mm-hmm. Latin American family members. Yeah. You know, I understand Jane's uh, struggle. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you guys are watching this or hearing this, just get on out. Adios. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have faked it. When I have tried to communicate about sex and then I realized it's not going to work, they're just mm-hmm. not going to take the note. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get out of the situation. And so I faked it. Hey, that's it's just the easiest thing to do in the moment. And no one mm-hmm. gets hurt because, you know, the male ego, sensitive it's, stuff. Yeah. If you're not dating them and you just yes. if you're like, truly, this is a one night stand. I just want to get out. Sure. I, you should not fake orgasms with mm-hmm. someone that you're dating. No, no, you shouldn't. And I have, and then guys, communicating during sex is really hard. It's It's really hard. And there's, we'll talk about it. People have devoted their entire career to helping people communicate during sex. That's why it's so hard. So we're going to pull from some of those sex experts later in this little topic. Mm -hmm. But here's, let's talk about what Michael and Jane don't do well and then what they do do well, because they have a nice little arc with this topic. Let's start about what we don't recommend from their journey. And I would say I don't recommend ever putting this much pressure on sex. And it's hard, especially when it comes to losing virginity. That's understandable that there's pressure on it. But just, you know, there is, it's never, ever going to be the best sex you ever have. Ever. No. It's like the first time you ride a bike. Yeah. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. You're going to be like, why do people enjoy this? (laughs) When will I be good at this? When will I find pleasure? This hurts. I am bumped and bruised and like I hit my head and I don't feel graceful. I don't feel sexy. No. And, you know, the first, the scene after the wedding, at the end of the wedding, when everyone's like, go have sex now. Go. Look. It feels like that sometimes when it's your first time, you're just like, okay, got to do it, got to do it, got to do it, got to do it. Don't rip it off like a Band-Aid. Just don't do it. Honestly, it should be talked about more as a Mm -hmm. child, how it's, you know, you can't just be like, don't do it until you're the right person. You have to explain why. You know, and I know people who were just like, who did have that mindset of like, I just want to rip the Band-Aid off. And like, 
I, I I think that can be fine as long as you know that like that's the choice that you're making and you don't go into it with the expectations of it's going to be magical. Mm-mm. I think putting too much pressure on any sexual situation, like sometimes I think about wedding nights and he, even if it's not losing your virginity wedding nights, but just like sex on wedding night, I'm like, no way that's going to be the best, like the best sex you ever have. You're drunk and full and exhausted. I don't know. I identify with Jane in that like, I, she's someone who always has a vision of how things are going to go. And I do too. And when I have a vision, I am so determined to execute execute it, even if it's not being truthful to the moment, I will literally fake it till I make it. And so does she. So I see why she does it. But yeah, faking orgasms in any relationship, especially, especially I think early in a relationship, never going to set you up for the sex you deserve. Mm -mm. Too much pressure is never good. That's it. Never good. Never good. Um, But let's talk about what they do do well and what we learn, because I think we could get a bunch of sex experts in here and do a whole podcast in itself about Michael analyzing the footage of them having sex and then talking to Jane about what worked and what didn't. Ugh. If you're with a partner and you want your sex life to improve, I'm not saying film yourself, but I'm also not saying don't film yourself. <laughs> like, I do understand that's not for everyone, but I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. No. Sounds extremely scary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that might be, that might be uh, a little advanced for some people. And listen, because, you know, we are not sex experts. We are not intimacy coaches. Far from it, you guys. Far from it. Uh, We don't want to pretend like we are. So for this conversation, um, we sourced some experts uh, that we follow and listen to and love to see, you know, how far off Michael and Jane were from healthy ways to talk about what's working and not working in their sex life. And it turns out they're not far off, especially in this plot of them kind of talking about like, uh, how was that? Did that work for you? And what about that moment? Oh, yeah, I liked that. So are you ready for some sex tips from not me? (laughs) I'm so ready for these. Um, Guys, I'm just going to sit quiet and listen to our queen speak because... I'm going to take notes. Oh, I'm not the queen. I'm a queen. So I'm um, just a <laughs> handmade um, sourcing from the queen. And the first one is Emily Morse, who has been in the sex expert um, industry for about 15 years. She had a, started a podcast in 2005 called Sex with Emily. She also has a masterclass, which I highly recommend. Um, but you can find her a lot of places. And so we're going to use some of her biggest tools about talking about t- sex in this conversation about how Michael and Jane did it. So she says... Communication is lubrication, which I love. I love that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it rhymes. Oh, my gosh. So here are some of her tips for talking about your sex life with a partner. And she talks about timing, tone, and turf. Timing meaning don't decide to have this conversation when you're grumpy or angry or insecure or lonely or hungry or tired take a moment to figure out if this is the right time, Um, which I would say check. I think Michael and Jane do that pretty well. Tone, she says, be curious, not accusatory. So this kind of looks like, hey, I've been curious to see like, if this has been working for you. And we see Michael do this and that he goes, he's looking at the video and he goes, did you like this part? But I think even if you don't have a video, you can be like, do you like when I do this? Or like, what do you think about this? Except instead of you never do this, why don't you go down on me? Why don't we make out enough? Why don't we have enough foreplay? Come at it from a place of curiosity instead of a place of accusations. Yes. That's the second part. That's tone. And then turf, 
And this was probably the only thing that Emily would say Jane and Michael got wrong is that she says actually don't have these conversations about your sex life in the bedroom. She says the bedroom should be sacred. It should be for sleeping and for sex. And if you bring like an admittedly awkward conversation, and that's another thing she says is like acknowledge this is awkward. If you bring that into the bedroom, messes with the feng shui yeah yeah messes with the vibe so she actually was like do it on a walk do it on a road trip do it somewhere where you don't necessarily have to like make eye contact with that is them such, i love that i th- mm-hmm. that that is such good advice then the not making eye contact thing genius i hadn't even thought about that mm-hmm. but it's true say things while looking at the pavement on the sidewalk yeah yeah or you're driving you can just look at the road and then you can be more honest mm-hmm. Because even with like a partner you're really close with, like it is, it is a hard conversation. But the other thing that I like that she assures people who are worried about hurting somebody's feelings or people being sensitive about it. And like, like you mentioned, like the male ego is fragile. She says like, you know, a true partner wouldn't take offense to this because a true partner cares about you and your pleasure more than their ego. And I think we see this, how Michael's like sensitive for a moment about it. And the fact that she faked it and the fact that she told Lena about it. But then he gets over his pride and he actively decides to do something about it and analyzes the tape. Yes. Sorry, so many things are going on in my head right now. I'm just like, I'm like thinking about so many things at this moment and how actually I didn't realize that I was actually scared of talking about sex until right now. Why do you think you are? Well, I think, you know, coming from a Latin American household, those social judgments get put on you Mm. with sex. Yeah. So... It's you get uncomfortable when talking about it. You get un- uncomfortable when thinking about it. You also feel a certain amount of guilt, which I think Jane shows that when she is still a virgin and like mm. has th- like the thoughts of sex, and she's just like, "No, we can't." And then she like gets the guilt of like thinking about the flower. Yeah. So it's just so interesting because I'm I'm like my brain is racing for some reason. And you know, it's so easy to say these to give this advice. But everybody has a different relationship with their own sexuality. So many people are influenced by the culture surrounding sex and how they grew up or where they are now and who their partner is. It's never going to be just one way. You have to be open to it being all different types of way. And if somebody wants to laugh during sex, like that's fine. Yeah, it's just it's a constant conversation and... You know, I like really do recommend looking up Emily Morse if this is something you're interested in because she talks about, you know, having a sex menu and sex bucket lists and like really going through all of the sex acts that with your partner and what you want to try and what you don't, you know, and she talks about taking responsibility for your own orgasm. And it, all go- it goes into all these things we already talked about with Michael and Jane is like communication and the reason that they are able to have this conversation and have it be so productive and healthy is because they have such a good basis of communication. And so, you know, it's it's something we're always, I think, in process of working on. But I think having great sex is something we all deserve. Mm-hmm. And the fear of communicating around it shouldn't stop us from having an incredible sex life. Yes. I do think Jane masturbates, though. So that's another thing she does well. It seems like she has. Yeah. She knows what she wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's able to tell him. And that's why I think that if he had lived, they would have gone on to have a communicative and healthy sex life. <laughs> I'm still so angry. I know. <laughs> we can't even start to get into it because we have to save it for next week. So yes. next week we will be talking mm. all about 
you know, Michael's death and and all of that. But before we do, let's stay in this happy place for a couple more minutes because we are going into another round of breaking down the scene. Time to break down. Oh my I get it. I just got it. Oh my god, break breaking down the scene. Again, we're taking pitches, everybody. Uh, Um, No. And this segment is where we talk about scenes we love and want and can learn from. And we're gonna talk about them in a little bit more detail. Do you wanna kick us off? What scene are you gonna talk about? I'm talking about the wedding. Oh, Look, yeah. when I was younger, let me just, a little backstory. Oh, yeah. When I was younger, I had this conflict, like this internal struggle. I was probably like nine when I first started thinking about this. But when I started crushing on boys, I'd be like, oh my gosh, he's so cute. Wow. But like, why would I date him if he doesn't speak Spanish? I would have these thoughts as a young child. And now, I, you know, gotten over that. Like, they don't need to speak Spanish. But it is... It is a dream to think about my significant other speaking Spanish, being able to communicate with my mother, being able to communicate Mm -hmm. with my grandparents, you know? So during the wedding scene, Jane is saying her vows, and then Michael looks over at her grandma, and she nods. And everyone's like, what's going to happen? Jane looks at him confused, because she's like, why is he nodding? And he starts saying his vows in Spanish. Yo, Michael. Te toma ti, Jane. Como mi esposa. Prometo serte fiel en lo prospero y en el verso, en la salud y en la familia. Y respetarte todos los días de mi vida o hasta que la muerte nos separe. It is so touching. The fact that that was also a surprise, I don't know what I would have done in that moment. If he started speaking my native language after like he I knew that he didn't speak it well and Mm -hmm. had whole vows written about how he wants to spend every moment of his life with me I'm so glad that they did that just if you think about it you think about how he had to get together with her grandma and how they had to have these moments and she had to teach him how to say it properly it's 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 a it's a dream it really I have a friend that I talk to about this all the time because she's from Venezuela we always talk about how we usually like blonde white guys and how it's so cute to see them try and speak Spanish even if they don't know it. All of my fantasies were like, wow, this is what I want. Right. Because I just want to, you know, just it's someone who knows you brought up thinking this when you were seven, but it, I think it still comes up where you, you do think mm-hmm. about, you know, you'd prefer somebody who speaks Spanish. Yes. Or even, do you think, like, makes the effort to, like, at least try? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I think that's almost cuter. I Sometimes I think about it. And I would love it if they, like, learned it for me. <laughs> Look, if we're going to have children, I'm going to speak to my children in Spanish. So, like, yeah. better hop on and uh, learn yourself. <laughs> yeah. And you think about just how much he loves her because this is, they're having a Catholic wedding. Mm-hmm. She's a virgin. They waited till marriage. He says his vows in Spanish. I'm like, man, this man is giving you Everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he continues to still take cues from her and learn and sacrifice into their marriage, which I think leads to the scene I wanted to talk about. I'm so excited to hear you talk about. Okay, so I want to talk about a scene there. They, at this point, are already married. He's already recovered from his um, gunshot wound. And this is like the part where Catalina is in town and... 
uh, she starts dating Raphael. Catalina is Jane's cousin. And she's super glamorous and traveled. And the whole episode, we think Michael is upset that Jane is jealous of Raphael dating her because of Raphael. And then this happens. Catalina makes me feel a little boring, okay? She lives this exciting and glamorous life and she isn't afraid to break the rules. I know. What? That's exactly what I was afraid of. She's making you not like your life. Suddenly, you feel like you're married to some boring guy and we're just married, boring people. Well, guess what? I'm not boring. I didn't say you were. Michael, what are you doing? Where are you going? Michael, stop! And then he goes on stage and sings, um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What's the name of that song? Sex takes me to paradise. That song, he sings that song on stage and points to Jane. And then Jane goes up and sings it with him. And I recommend nothing more than to look up a clip of this scene or watch this episode, which is season three, episode six. It's a, it's a part of the Michael goodbye tour, which, um, you know, I love that they did for us. It is visually stunning. His hips, his hips when he is singing that song, (laughs) gorgeous. Uh, more gorgeous than the any any decor we see in the Marbella. And I just think what we can like learn from it is that people in long-term relationships will eventually inevitably feel insecure for one reason or another, whether it's through comparison to others and other relationships because of a relationship feeling too stale or comfortable or whatever it is. And here he makes this effort to go and surprise her and take a risk and be bold. And I think that's such a lesson to keep listening to where the other person is at and taking action and continuing to surprise one another and switch it up and be present and active. And I just think this dumb little act, it's such a nice lesson in that. And I think it is why, again, if he had lived, they would have had a really nice life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And it's so nice to see that he's truly her soulmate. Someone might have been too, you know, felt embarrassed to get up in a front of everyone and sing this Bruno Mars song. They fit so well together. I can't say that enough. I can't say that enough. Yeah. And she goes, he's my weirdo. Yeah. And they're little weirdos who communicate well. And And then when they leave the bar, she's like, oh my God, but um, no, maybe we should go back. He goes, no, no, no. We have to keep, leave them wanting more. Yes. They're such a team. Yes. Yes. They're such a team. They're such a team. And I think if he had lived, they would have gone on to have this, like, we're on the same team marriage, which I think would have been great. Yeah. But... Unfortunately, but alas, that's not what happened. But alas, and so next episode we will talk about what does happen and what version 3.0 of their relationship is like. I was personally upset. Okay, like yeah. my feelings were hurt. I was attacked by the CW. I <laughs> don't know why they would do that. I've never wronged them. I watch most of their shows, so I am upset. I've been a loyal fan my entire life, and they went and did this to me. <gasps> Okay, well, we will wrap it up so we don't, you know, just start going straight into episode four. So if you have thoughts about Michael and Shane, how they communicate, how they uh, communicate about their sex, their marriage, and other, you know, moments you want to share with us, um, you can find us online at Talking Ship Podcast. You can find Jimena at XIMEMEDI. 
and you can find me at onlymegan815, Megan with no H. And we will be back next week with episode four of our Michael and Jane season. And we're going to get into it. Hasta luego. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.